Lydia House. It's a beautiful morning. It's a little bit on the cool side. And uh, Nate is in his shorts. Uh, he'll be that way in November. So uh, welcome to all of you. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Now, you know, I'm not crazy usually. Uh, in Israel, from September 18th to September 19th, they're going crazy because the Jews are celebrating New Year. It is also the Feast of Trumpets. And feasts were connected with uh, agricultural days. And so it's getting close to the harvest time. And the Feast of Trumpets uh, announced the beginning of the uh, 10 days of atonement, and at the end of which was the Day of Atonement. And they would blow the trumpet to announce this. So we're going to have the blowing of the shofar to announce this special day, the Feast of Trumpets. Is there anything in the New Testament that suggests this? Yes. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 says, Lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of the eye. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised imperishable. So this is a sign of the end of the days. The Feast of Trumpets is telling us to get ready for the end. And that sound of the trumpet, that will be a blast heard around the universe. The dead in Christ will rise. And we are alive. So we caught up with them in the air. To meet them in the air. So. And we have the Israeli flag right there behind you. And today the women even got to speak to a friend in Israel and pray for her. Cool. In our women's uh, prayer time. And so. So I can't blow this thing. It takes. From Israel when we were visiting Israel four years ago. So. It takes ambisure. Yes. And in light of what we are going through as a nation, we are singing a prayer. And I think I'm going to play it, but I don't have sound here. <laughs> there, it's coming now. Here it comes. Let's sing together, shall we? God bless our native land firm as she ever stand through storm and night. When the wild tempest rave, ruler of wind and wave, O God our country, save by thy great might. For her our prayers shall rise to God above the skies on whom we wait. Lord, who are ever 
and you tell us to pray for our leaders that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. It is not quiet and it is not peaceable now. And so we pray, God, give us a quiet and peaceable life. We pray for our rulers. We pray for our mayors, our governors, and our president. Bless our land, we pray in Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. lot by way of announcements. Um, offering box back there as usual. Grab one of these on your way in for lyrics. And we're doing pretty well here with distance and stuff. It's tough to set up chairs to be six feet apart when we don't know where people are going to sit. So feel free to move chairs around. Um, organize things how you need to so that we can stay distanced as much as possible, but still be together as a group. And let's you know, I encourage us to wear our masks while we're sitting out here, too. Um, but once we move inside in the future, uh, we will have to wear masks. So we're going to try to meet outside for as long as we can. I'm quite comfortable in this weather. I'm quite comfortable 20 degrees colder than this. Um, I realize not all of you are. So feel free to let me know. Hey, Nate, you know what? It's 50s are cut off. Let's be realistic here or whatever. Yeah, okay, yeah. I have boots. We have a, we have a fire and there's a fire pit. I mean, I feel like we can be out here till mid February. Um, so, if they could do it for football, we could do it for Jesus. No, but seriously, uh, winter is coming. We will have to move inside sometime soon. And when we do, the main change will be uh, that we'll have to wear masks because that's the, the government mandate right now. And we'll likewise do our best to keep chairs spaced out and that sort of thing. If anybody has any questions or concerns about that, let me know. Our, um, what's it called? COVID guidance preparedness plan. It's got some long name. Uh, it's on the update emails that go out. If you have any questions about that, please let me know. All right. Who's ready to worship? Yes. Awesome. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful fall day. And we pray that you would help us now to just give our hearts to you. We give you our concerns and the things that might be on our heart. We ask that you would help us just to set all those things down right now, Lord, so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And these days, it's very distracting. So it's going to be tough to focus. But we want to focus on you this morning, Lord. So we worship you and we thank you. We rejoice for all that you do, all that you've done, all you're going to do for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Feel free to stand, sit, lie, dance.
want to hear voices of angels above singing as one hallelujah holy holy god almighty great i am who is worthy none beside thee god almighty great i am be near, near to your heart, loving the word and hating the dark. I want to see dry bones living again, singing as one. Hallelujah. Holy, holy God Almighty.
This will be a new song for a lot of you, so just follow along. <laughs> before in greater measure you will do again cause there's no prison wall you can't break through no mountain you can't move all things are possible there's no broken body you can't raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up oh god of revival let hope arise death is overcome you've already won you rose in victory and now you're seated forever on the throne so why should my heart fear what you've defeated I will trust in you alone cause there's no prison wall you can't break through no mountain you can't move all things are possible there's no broken body you can't raise no soul that you can't save all things are possible the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up oh god of revival let hope arise death is overcome you've already won oh god of revival the darkest night the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up oh god of let hope arise, death is overcome, you've already won, oh God of revival, God of revival. Come awaken your people, come awaken the city. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. Oh God of revival, pour it out. 
like the chains hit the ground. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. our music away <laughs> this last one.
love how you brought deliverance the exodus of my heart you found me you freed me held back the waters for my release oh Yahweh you're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory hallelujah hallelujah have torn apart the sea you have led me through the deep hallelujah hallelujah a cloud by day a sign that you are with me the fire by night a guiding light to my feet you found me you freed me held back the waters from my release oh Yahweh you're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory hallelujah hallelujah you have torn apart the sea you have led me through the deep hallelujah Hallelujah, you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah, you have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah. stepped into my Egypt you took me by the hand you marched me out in freedom into the promised land now I will not forget you know I'll sing of all you've done death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love you stepped into my Egypt you took me by the hand you marched me out in freedom into the promised land now I will not forget you know I'll sing of all you've done death is swallowed up forever by the fury of your love you're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory hallelujah Hallelujah, you have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah, you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. Apart the sea, you have led me through the deep. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
If you need healing this morning, physically, emotionally, spiritually, any way at all, raise your hand and we're gonna pray for you. I'm raising my hands. Tim over here, Karen, you can always pray for Phil and Margaret, of course. So let's pray for each other. Just stretch out a hand, get closer, a little closer <laughs> to them. Father, we thank you that in the Old Testament, you called yourself Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. That has always been who you are. In Psalms, you're the Lord who heals all your diseases. And we know that through Jesus, we have that victory and we could walk into that because by his wounds, we are healed. And so we receive that healing that was given to us on the cross in Jesus' name. So if you need healing, I want, or, or if you want to grab it for somebody else, on behalf of somebody else, I want you to just reach out and receive that in your hands, in your body, in your spirit right now. Just like the man asked his neighbor for bread to give to his friends, you can ask the Lord for more of the spirit to give to other people. That's what revival looks like. And so we ask you, God of revival, to give us what we need for ourselves, but also for our friends, for our family, for others. So be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody else want, have anything to share? Anybody get a word during worship or anything? I'd like to pray for Allie's father, who was to walk her down the aisle. And an hour before he walked her down, he had a terrible ulcer. Uh, he fainted away. They took him to the hospital. They operated on him. and. Uh, I don't know how it's going, but I'd like to pray for Tom. Mm -hmm. And Allie and John are not here today because they're on a honeymoon because they just got married last night. Yay. And I played my shofar yes. so, at the wedding. <laughs> uh, Tom or Todd? Tom. Tom, pray for Tom and pray for John and Allie too. Yeah. Father, we pray for Brother Tom. We know what a disappointment it was to him and to Allie, but we thank you that uh, you led them with courage right to the altar to be married. We bless them as they are celebrating now their first day together, and we bless Tom. We pray for his healing, yes. and we pray that he will know you as the God who heals in yeah. Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. 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 We're going to have... Our first sermon by Ducky. <laughs> if the, any kids want to come, they can come. You guys are already pretty close, so you're, you're good. If anybody else wants to come up. You should come up here. Sure. You can move your chair. That's fine. We're going to talk to the Yeah, go for it. You can come sit here. It's on. It was on when I gave it to you. Just keep it on. Testing, testing. Okay. All right. Okay. Do you want me to scoot How are you doing, Ducky? Okay. 
Alright, that's great. Alright, look who's here. Hey, my friends. That's right. Oh no, my grandkids. Yeah, that's right. What are they to me? What are they to you? Yeah, what is Ducky to you? I think Ducky is... Let's see that guy there. Girls, can you move your chair back two feet? We need to move you away from the speaker. Towards the kids, towards the kids, this way. Yeah, because we're getting some howling. I'm not howling! You're not howling. Ducks don't like that kind of noise. No, no. It's hard on our ears, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. So anyway, yeah. Um, You know who made this guy? God did. No, well, yeah, maybe. He made the wood. He made the wood, that's right. But it was, see that guy there? Yeah, that's my dad. Yep, and it's your what? Great grandpa. He's pretty great. Yeah, he's pretty great. And it's his brother that made you, Ducky. Yeah, Dave. That's right. His brother Dave, younger brother Dave, made Ducky. Yahoo! Yeah, that's right. And so, let's see. If, if you are Dave's kind of brainchild or child, yeah, um, then he is my cousin. <laughs> First cousin, twice removed. Yeah, they moved them all the way to Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. I was in Japan. That's a way, that's a long ways removed. But then they came to visit you in Japan too. So that's good. Yeah, that's pretty weird, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, today we're going to talk about, I think, the first commandment. Is that our theme? The first commandment. Be nice to ducks. No, it isn't. <laughs> What's the first commandment? Anybody know? Do you know, Bella, the first commandment? That's hard, isn't it? How many are there? Let's all vote. Who says 12? <laughs> 12, okay, we got one for 12. Going on once, going twice. Anybody for 10? All right. 10 commandments. Yeah. And, okay, so. <laughs> Most people don't know them all, but how about the first one? Anybody can tell me the first one? Things on your coat. Yeah, sometimes, you know, different traditions will treat it differently, won't they? Yeah. That's a good one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the main one that kind of encapsulates everything. That's pretty good. That's right. But how about, um, what would you say is the first command? Anybody else? Can you help uh, the duck? And the guy is talking to the duck. He's not a clue. Okay. Anybody? What's the first command? No other gods before who? Before me, meaning God, right? The real God. There's only one God. A lot of fake gods. Yeah, that's right. A lot of fake gods. But there's only one true God, right? And we can believe him because he always tells you the truth and he always keeps his promises and he is reliable. And so how do people get idols? You know what idolatry is? It means following idols. You mean not working hard? No, no, no. That's being idol. <laughs> But having an idol is something different. Like maybe you go to a different country, you know, and they have this kind of carved out stuff. Yeah, I saw it in Japan. Yeah, in Japan, kind of idols, yeah. And they have idols in all kinds of different countries. Not here though, right? Well, I don't know. Do we have idols here? Anybody? 
Yeah. Yeah. Would I make a good idol? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Just the kind of a quack up. Yeah, that's right. A quack up. That's right. What if he turned into an idol? Yeah. You never know. I could turn into an idol. <laughs> I mean, idol though. Yeah, you are. You're just all day long, all night long, just sitting in the box. Yeah, keeping isolated. So, what are some idols that people might have? Okay. TV. There you go. One-eyed monster. That's right. A cyclops. There you go. Yeah. Electronics. That's right. She's from that uh, era, right? Yes. <laughs> it's kind of Paul, you and me. Kind of. <laughs> yes, that's right. You got to ask the young people how to work the electronics. Anything else? Anything else can you think of? Maybe even animals or, you know, your favorite pet. If it gets to be more important than God, right? Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Even me. That's right. We all love you, but you know what? We can't love any object or any person even sometimes people can get to be you know an idol you know like someone falls in love with a girl or a guy and like oh or or some rock star yeah i want to be a rock star yeah everybody would love me yeah i know people like to be rock stars because then everybody follows like oh you know all right he's my idol or she's so wonderful you know i so those people can become idols or even uh, like, uh, what kind of people can be? Like rock stars or even... Mentors. Huh? Mentors. Mentors? Like, how do you mean? Uh, like someone who influences you. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like somebody who influences you. Like you do. Yeah, I know. But you're not a mentor. I'm not a mentor. <laughs> you're mental. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. I have to talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. So that's right. So anybody, you know, even the, the king or the president or anybody can get to be an idol, somebody that you just follow blindly. And so we have to be careful. And who is the only one that we can follow blindly without question? That's right. The Lord. That's right. So that's what we want to remember. And remember, every day, you know, when I wake up, I think it's not all about me. Not all about me either. No, it's not about you. It's all about the Lord. And Lord, what do you want me to do for your kingdom? And who do you want me to help today? I need to remember that every day because otherwise, you know what? I can become my own idol. That would be terrible. I know. That's right. That's what we have to battle against. Okay, enough out of you. Okay, enough out of me. It's time to get going. Bye-bye, guys. See you later. Bye-bye. All right, thank you, Ducky, as always. I'm gonna to try to keep these papers from blowing around if I can. All right, how's everybody doing? Good. Good? How am I, Tim, am I in a good spot? Welcome everybody at home. Welcome everybody watching live on Sunday morning or at another time or far in the distant future or the jury who's watching this as proof of something. I don't know. You just never know. The internet is forever. So, was that a weird turn to take? Everybody's like, what's going on now? Um, well, we are talking about idolatry this morning. So 
There could, be, there could be legal ramifications. There certainly was for the Israelites, right? Idolatry was a pretty big deal. So I'm going to give you a quick, quick little history lesson on idolatry. Um, so it's, it's common to call the Bible and Christianity even a monotheistic religion. That's not technically true. Um, Islam is a true monotheistic religion. They believe only one God exists in the universe. Whereas what the Bible teaches is that uh, it's called henotheism henotheism, which is that many gods may exist, but only one of them matters. And so that's what we see oftentimes in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't claim that Baal doesn't exist or that Jupiter doesn't exist. And Paul in Corinthians sort of elucidates that a little more and says, look, these graven images of stone or wood, they're just mute. They're nothing. They don't mean a thing. But the thing that they point to, the God that they represent, if you can hear it, Paul says, they're like fallen angels. They are beings. They are other things other than God. That humans look to as gods, but they're not gods in the sense that our God is God. So our God, the God, exists so far above all those other gods, which is why you see this in... Um, a lot in the Psalms. I can use a handheld if you want, if that would be better for the wind. I don't mind. The windscreen blew away. <laughs> That's a good sign. Okay. That's right. Our God is cooler. And so it's, uh, we see this a lot in the Old Testament. Our God has been exalted far above all gods, for example, it says that. And so there are other gods, but they're like small g gods. Okay? They're Demons would be another way to say it. Fallen angels, some other spiritual being that exists, but they're not on the same playing field as God, as Yahweh. It's not dualism, meaning there's a good side and there's a bad side and they're ever at war and oh, we hope the good side wins. That's not uh, what the Bible teaches at all. God is way above everything else. Everything else is a created being. And some of them fell and some of them chose evil. Uh, but they call themselves gods, and people worship them as gods, and that gives them power. The worship, the prayer, uh, gives them power in some sense. And so the people of Canaan, where the Israelites were, we sang the song about Egypt, right? Well, they were on their way to Canaan, the promised land, and the people there weren't henotheistic. They were polytheistic. And polytheistic means there's multiple gods that are more or less on the same playing field. And they picked and chose which ones they followed. And they would typically have a primary god and then a bunch of secondary gods. So if you picture like a bookshelf, like on the top shelf, there'd be a primary god. This was our, this was our main god, whether it's the god of their family or their tribe or the leader or the government or something like that. There was like a main god. And then there, but there was a second shelf of gods. And that second shelf might have been full of a lot of different gods, four or five. 500. It really depends. And a lot of polytheistic religions, when they would encounter another religion, they would say, oh, that God sounds neat. We're going to add him to the list. And they were fine with that. And there are religions that are fine with that today. Buddhism is like, oh, another God? Great. We'll throw that on the list. No problem. But Buddhism, like a lot of polytheistic religions, has a big second shelf. And I'm just using two shelves as an analogy. In, in actuality, a lot of these religions are pretty intricate, and it's like six or seven different tiers of authority and that sort of thing. But the point is that the people of Canaan, they would have their primary god, and they would have a whole shelf full of secondary gods. And so the primary god was the one that held their allegiance, 
We, they might say, we follow mammon. But when we want to make sure we have a good harvest or the birth of a child goes well, we're going to pray to Ishtar and give a sacrifice for that. Or when we want to make sure our business is successful, we're going to make a sacrifice to Moloch to make sure that that happens. And so you would have the god you had your allegiance to, but when you needed something done, when you wanted specific things, and maybe your primary god wasn't cutting it, you pray for rain and it doesn't come, you pray for rain and it doesn't come, all right, we better bring another god or two into the mix because this one isn't getting the job done. And maybe they need a little help. Maybe they need a little help. And so you ask these two lieutenant gods to come in and help so that there can be rain. That was the mindset, right? And when God gave the Ten Commandments and when he schooled Israel in how they were to worship him, this was the culture they were a part of. And God was like, absolutely the opposite is what's true for me. I am your God, period, that's it. I need no help. I need no help from other gods. I, I, I don't need anything from anyone. I am self-sufficient, self-existent. I am so far above all those little gods. They're, they're, they're not even gods. They're just, they're silly. And so he gives us um, the first commandment. And, but I want you to think about that sh those shelves. And oftentimes in their house, they would have little shrines with little carven, carved uh, wood or stone versions of those gods to represent them. They'd have a little shrine in their house. And they'd usually tear them, the biggest one, most important one on top, next, next, and so on. So picture that, God on the top shelf, bunch of little gods on the second shelf. So God comes along, and the very first commandment, first being the most important, right? Always true back in that time. When you see lists of stuff, everything like that in the Bible, the first always has primacy. That's why it's first. The first is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on to elucidate that a little more. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I heard a sermon that said, we should never let anything in our life be above God. If anything in our life is above God, more important than God or something in our life, then we're breaking the first commandment. And I was like, okay. And then when I was older, I was like, that's not what the first commandment says at all. The first commandment doesn't say, don't let anything become more important than me. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Before doesn't mean above in this sense. Before means like in the presence of. Like you would kneel before the king. Right? Kneel before the king. That doesn't mean kneel above the king. That would be logistically difficult. Right? It means come before me, in the presence of me, in the sight of me. And so you could, you could read this as, you shall have no other gods but me, period. Or you shall have no other gods in my presence. Or I like to think you should have no other gods in my sight. I want to see no other gods in your life. And where does God look? Where is his sight? It's in our heart. The Bible says, even back here, God looks on men's hearts. And so he doesn't want to see any idols, any other gods in our heart. So the religion, if you want to put it that way, the way we follow Yahweh is different than the way the world was doing it. He was saying, I'm on the top shelf, and that second shelf is empty. Doesn't exist. It's empty. It's completely empty. Idolatry, then, the sin of idolatry is when we take something and we put it on that second shelf. It's supposed to be empty because God is supposed to be it. He is all there is. If we put something up on that second shelf, 
whether we realize we're doing it or not, that is the sin of idolatry. And it's, it's easier to do than you might think. So God's on the top shelf. The second shelf is supposed to be empty. And in our culture today, not a lot of us are worshiping other gods in a specific personal sense. I, I don't remember anyone recently saying, so I was praying to Baal the other day or I gave a sacrifice to Jupiter, but it's hard to find bulls these days. And, you know, I haven't heard much of that lately, but we do still have idols. They're just a little more amorphous. For example, we still want uh, prosperity. We still want provision. We still want security, protection, success. We still want these things. And so oftentimes we can make those into idols. We put them on that second shelf. An idol is anything that we trust in or put our hope in that isn't God. In the Bible, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of verses that deal with this topic. My hope is in you alone. We read that refrain many times. We're not supposed to put our hope in anything else. Not in our career. Or in our company. Or in the security that our family will be okay because we finally got this house, did whatever. It's easy to put our hope in other stuff. And the Bible's very clear. We can only put our hope in God. It's easier to trust in other things. But the Bible's like, no, we only trust in God. We don't, I don't put my trust in chariots or horses. I put the, my trust in the Lord alone. And so that's speaking to idolatry. There's actually hundreds of verses that actually speak to idolatry. We just don't think of it that way. But anything we put our trust in, anything that we put our hope in other than God becomes an idol. It becomes something that we put on that second shelf. And we may not realize oh, I'm, I'm really putting my trust in my job. And if I lose it, we're, it's over. The world's going to end. And we get upset about it. We get concerned. And often there's fear associated with that. And when we get worried about something happening, I think that's often a tell. It's often a tell that there might be a little idolatry. We might have allowed ourselves to put our trust in something other than God. And so then we're afraid of what might happen if that thing should go away. Career, fame, power, American dream. We could list hundreds of idols in our culture today, right? The kids listed some. It's, it's pretty apparent. Anything that we allow into our heart that we trust in or put our hope in that isn't God can become an idol. Those things aren't idols to begin with. You understand? Like your spouse can be an idol. Family can be an idol. Those are good things. Those are inherently good things. But if we come to a point where we are allowing our trust or our hope to be put in them, then it becomes idolatry. It's idolatrous at that sense. If we idolize, that's what the word idolize means, to make it into an idol. Yeah. I just have been learning a lot about faith lately and what does it really mean and um, just so crazy that I have been a Christian for so long and didn't really know this, but faith is based on the character of God, not on his miracles that he's done for you, mm -hmm. you know, and I just, man, not on his blessings, you know, and man, I just, I'm like, wow, I just, I'm learning this. You know, because, you know, we go through so many trials in our lives and, and they're good for us, right? But we can't put our trust in 
him actually, you know, answering even our prayers, you know, it's the trust is in his character and the faith is in his character. No matter what's going on in your life, your circumstances, anywhere, it's in who he is. And that, that's crazy that I'm just learning that now, but I am. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. That's a really good point. So again, as God is giving the law to his people, he's making it clear that we, the way we're going to associate with me as your God and you as my people, that's different than the way everybody else is doing it. And the way everybody else was doing it is, like you said, their religion was very contractual. It was a contract. All right, if I sacrifice this, I can get that. So I will sacrifice this goat, and in return, this God will grant me what he has said he's going to grant me. And Yahweh is saying, no, that's, that's not the way it is. I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to take care of you no matter what. Because it's a character thing. It's not a contractual thing. The difficulty is we as humans find contractual relationships far easier to understand, especially when we're talking about a God we can't see. And so we worship God, but then when what we want doesn't actually happen, we try to get contractual. We try to start making bargains. We might bargain with God. Ah, oh, if you do this, I promise I will go to church every week. If you do this, I promise this, I promise that, right? You've heard people do that kind of stuff. Maybe even you've done it in your heart a little bit. We've also done it where we say, God, I've been doing this. God, I've served you. God, I've done this, I've done this. Why aren't you fulfilling? what my hope was that you would fulfill. And so even in there, we have to be careful that our hope is in God himself, as you said, and not in what God, what we want God to do for us. We worship his being. We worship his face and not his hand, if that makes sense. We seek your face. Seek your face is what the psalmist is constantly saying. Not I seek your hand and what you can do for me. And that, that gets difficult. And when we try that and it doesn't work, we often turn to other sources that will work, we think. And we start making contracts, whether we realize it or not, and idolatry comes into place. Uh, Anne and then, and then John. To twist that around as a parent, when my kids are super excited about something I've done for them, it's really easy for them to say, oh, you're so awesome, I love you so much, you're so wonderful. And there's a part of me that wants to go, did you love me even before I did this? And if I switch this around and think that's what God wants from me, that's the kind of relationship he wants is that, yes, all this other stuff is great, but do you love me? Do you love me? Mm -hmm. It's about this relationship. And that helps me to not get stuck in the what he hasn't done yet or next in my life, remembering he's looking for relationship first. And then those things flow out of it. And if I remember what I'm looking for from my kids, I'm looking for them to say, I love you. Yep. Not that, oh, it's so great you gave me this. Absolutely. And like we talk about that as a family as well. You know, you're all excited about daddy when he orders something fun for dinner. But when it's time to eat our vegetables <laughs> at the next meal, we're not, as, we're not as excited about that, right? Daddy's mean now. Hmm. You were nice when you ordered us food. Now it's not as nice. Where in actuality, we, because we're more mature, we know that eating the vegetables is way more important. And it is love to make them eat your vegetables. I know, I know. But it's true. It, it's true. And the same is true for God. And so sometimes he does what we need 
and we don't like it. Because we tend to be more like the kids than like the adults when it comes to God. Uh, I think. John. Okay. Is this on? This on? Yep. Okay. What's interesting is you said while God was writing the Ten Commandments, the people created a graven image. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, actually, I was uh, inspired by um, the teachings of uh, Robbie Zacharias, his yes. brother-in-law, Sundar Christian. He said God's come in pairs. For example, you got the graven image, which is kind of a, a representation of something greater, but they created the graven image with their hands, which is something they can control. And so, so in a way, um, not, not respecting God for who he is, but trying to control God in that way. Yes. And, then, and then, which would be, a modern example would be, let's say, um, saving the planet, okay? Well, you can't do that, okay? But you can, let's say, pass a law that everybody has to ride a bicycle or something like that. See, and then that's kind of your, that you created, that is your source of power or something over the universe. And so, in the end, he um, said that the true fulfillment comes in in trying to make the graven image, the, the thing we created with our hands, closer to the greater God, where the two meet, where, where um, that distance is is less, you know, where, where the infinite God becomes personalized, mm -hmm. you know, in, but not something that we create or control, that it's right. appreciating God for who he is. And, and, yeah. and we, can, we can see that a lot around us, where the, the stuff we make, you know, that kind of makes us, it, the, the whole New Age movement, everything, you know, where everybody's kind of a God to themselves. Um, and even this disease, for example, people have grabbed that, and they've tried to maybe usurp power over God, you know, by a vaccine or whatever it is, but not acknowledging God for really having control over all this and sovereignty in it. So it's, it, it's, it's interesting. Right. And that's one of, one of the big things about idolatry is it does give human beings a little more control. They touch it with their hands. They carve that idol. They decide what that God is going to do and not do. And that is part of human nature is we want to be in control. We don't actually want to give control over to gods. And so in these other religions and with idolatry, we're still in control. Even though there's something we can't accomplish, we're in control because of that contract. Just sacrifice four chickens and we're good. That's all I got to do. So that makes me in control again, right? Whereas, yes, there are sacrifices in the Old Covenant, but those are done out of praise, and those are done as a community. It's very different. It's not the same kind of contractual situation like you see um, with the other religions of his day. And it's still true today that we are trying to exert control. Christians try to exert control over God all the time. And there's a lot of ways I could talk about that uh, different churches do that, but I, I'm not, I don't want it to be taken like I'm speaking against other denominations or whatever, so I'm not going to use any of those examples, but I think there are some examples where even in the church, in a very structural way, people will try to exert control over God and what God can and can't do. And God's like, nah, sorry, I'm the God of the universe. I'm on the top shelf. You're not on the second shelf. Neither is anybody else. And so there, there's a lot of examples of idols and how, and how that can work in our lives. The, the one I'm going to choose, actually two I'm going to choose today because we're two months away from an election, is 
the potential idol of government or politics. And like I said, these things aren't idols in and of themselves, right? But they can become idols. So how could uh, government or politics become an idol? You know, we want America to be a great place, right? We want America to be all that she can be, but we look around and maybe we don't see that actually happening. Maybe we've been praying for years and decades and we don't see much change. And so the temptation is then to turn to something else, to turn to government to fix the country, to turn to politics to fix the country. We put our trust or our hope in that, in the hopes that that will make our country change around. And there's some contractualness about that, right? We will do this and you will in turn do this. And we can easily, accidentally, put that up on the second shelf without even realizing it, I think. Um, so government or politics can become idols, like anything else can, when we put our hope in that. When we put our trust in that, then it becomes idolatry. We idolize government, we idolize politics. And that's not to say that the government isn't important. Obviously, the government is very important, um, but it can't take the place of God in that sense in our lives. We can't put our hope or trust in that. Our trust is in him alone. Again, the Bible is full of these things. I mean, even when he speaks to Israel, God says, your, your trust isn't in the king. Even if the king is good, your trust is in me alone. And he didn't actually want there to be a king, <laughs> right? Um, but the people begged for it because we want things. We want to be more in control. And that's why I think we gravitate often towards idolizing government and politics. We want to be more in control of what we see in our country. And what we see with our eyes is easier for us to access and understand than, could you move that, Andrew? Thank you. Um, than prayer. Because when we pray, we're praying to the God we can't see. And we talked about that last week. And prayer is by far more effective than trying to mingle our hands in what's going on down here. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. In fact, I got a bunch of caveats here that I wrote down. Just so, just so everybody knows what I'm saying and um, people don't get upset. So I have a lot of issues, you know, with political media. But that's not to say all journalists are bad, OK? I'm not going to give you the percentage I think are bad, but <laughs> it's high. It's very high. OK, um, that's a quote from a movie. Relax. Um, so not all journalists are bad, but I think the political media uh, system is not good for us. Um, I have a lot of issues with politics, but that's not to say that all politicians are bad, certainly, OK? Um, I draw a distinction when I talk about politics versus government. Government is the actual people who've been elected who run things. Politics is like the media machine behind it that's primarily lies and spin. Um, and my, my, I know people who work in Washington, and everybody there knows what's actually true because they're not stupid. They know the facts on the ground of any given situation, but they intentionally go out and say something very different in order to influence all of us because we don't know the facts on the ground. And they can say anything they want because it's a free country. And then different media and different people hop onto that and they say, this is what's going on. Everybody there actually knows what's really happening. The truth doesn't matter as much to them. 
That's what politics is. So when I'm talking about politics, that's what I'm talking about, the spin. They can turn any fact into this person is either a hero or a monster, depending on which channel you watch or which radio program you listen to or what periodical you read or whatever, right? When usually the truth is somewhere in the middle because life is a little messier than that. Um, so government, good government is important. Good government is actually extremely important. If you look at countries that are doing well and countries that are doing poorly throughout history, one of the primary factors in how they're doing well is good government. If there is good government, the people thrive, right? Um, my, so I, I believe that we should vote. I believe that we absolutely should vote. And I think it's, it's good to have a party or people that you support. I think that's all fine. We just have to be careful that we don't let it go too far. Um, and so my caution last week was that we need to make sure we're not getting caught up in that snare of politics with the media machine and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think we, sorry, there's a lot of wind. I think we do need to be careful of that, but I think we also need to be careful about idolizing our favorite politicians, our favorite political party. We need to make sure that we're not putting anybody up on that second shelf that's supposed to remain empty. And I think that the system that's out there, that political machine with all the propaganda and all that kind of stuff, I think they put out bait and they want us to grab that bait to distract us, to distract us from prayer, to distract us from the fact that God is the one who can save this country. No politician can save us. No political party can save us. God alone can save us. Our hope is in who? Who is our hope in? Our hope is in God. God alone, the Bible says, like dozens of times. Our hope is in God alone, not God plus that lady, God plus that guy, God plus this party. There's no second shelf. Nothing can be on there. And again, government is important. Good government is important. But we need to be careful to look at our hearts and to do an audit. I think it's good to talk about idolatry every, every once in a while because we can let something up on that second shelf without even really realizing it, right? Where we start to put our trust or our hope in something else. And I think that political machine, I'm concerned about how we interact with that just because it's easy for that to lead to idolatry. Because you pick a team and then you're rooting for your team and then the other team is evil and then we should destroy the other team and, and pretty soon it cascades into something that, that isn't good for us. And it's not helpful for the body of Christ compared to prayer. And that system of politics is trying to get you to believe that only they can save you. Only they can save this country. Only they can make America better or great or built back or, you know, whichever. <laughs> it's all the same to me. They want you to get they want you to think that only they can do it. And so they get us to a place where we're like, unless this person gets elected, all is lost. All is lost. And they send out the town criers to say, whoa, whoa unto us if we elect this person or don't elect this person or don't unelect that person or whatever the case may be. And that's where we get into idolatry. If we start thinking, unless our gal, our guy, our party gets in, it's all going down, it's the end. See, that means we put our trust in something else. 
instead of God. Because guess what? America's going to survive. Amen? America's going to survive no matter what. Now, I have heard every presidential election since I have been cognizant of such things. I have heard that it is the most important election in history. We've never been so divided. We're on the edge of a knife. And unless, 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 the world will end. I've heard that every presidential election, most of the stuff that's being said right now is cut and pasted from when Bush was running for re-election. They change a couple words and republish. It's the same noise, but people don't remember because that was a long time ago. I was in Scotland for that one, but I was checking every day to find out what was going on and it was interesting for me to hear their points of view because they only heard certain stuff, all of which was very one-sided over there. They were like, we heard Bush is like a monster and he has horns and eats babies and stuff. Like, you guys are nuts, you know? Um, so <laughs> it's, it's crazy. We gotta make sure we don't get to that point where we're like, no, unless this, unless that. It's true that good government matters and there might be one that's gonna be better than the other. And it could be that if the one that isn't as good gets in, not as good things happen. That's just the way government works. That's the way bureaucracy works. But in another few years, it'll be somebody else. Bush didn't destroy the world. Obama didn't destroy the world. Trump didn't destroy the world. The next person won't destroy the world. We need to make sure we keep our hope in God alone and our trust in God alone. I'm not saying that doesn't matter, the people who are in charge, although the president is actually a lot less important than most people think. Um, it does matter, good government is important, but we need to check ourselves and guard our hearts to make sure we're not putting them up on the second shelf. We can't say what I've heard people basically say, which is, God, we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. Didn't happen, nothing happened. And so, we're gonna do it ourselves. We're gonna take control. The sin of Abraham, right? You wait for God, you wait for God, you wait for God. God doesn't show up, so you decide you're gonna take matters into your own, your own hands and do, get it done. It's the sin of Abraham. And I think we've been doing that for a couple decades as the church. And I think we've, said, we've prayed for America and the stuff doesn't seem to happen. So we say, okay, God can't do it for us. Here, you do it for us. Republican Party, just to pick an example. Don't get mad. And so we say here, Republican Party, you fulfill God's wishes and you do it. That's putting something on the second shelf. That's making a contract with a lesser God to get something done that we want to happen that wasn't getting done by the primary God. Are you with me? Okay, so we got to be careful that we're not doing that. I'm not saying government's not important. Caveat number 30 of the same thing. I want, us, I want us on the same page here. Good government is important. I'm not saying the person you support, you shouldn't support or anything like that. I'm saying we have to be really careful. Who is in charge at the end of the day? Who sits on the throne? Who's the king above all kings? Who's the Lord above all lords? We have to keep that second shelf empty. We can't put anything else up there. And it's very tempting to do that, especially in this climate right now. Especially in this climate right now. It is very tempting to idolize. So we idolize the people we agree with. 
We idolize the people we want to win. We idolize our team. And I could talk about the Vikings as a silly example of that kind of stuff. But with politics, it's obviously, it's not a game. It's real, lives are at stake. And so that's why it's important and that's why it's so seductive. But at the end of the day, we don't need X party or X person in office. So let's not put that up on the second shelf. Let's remember that we only need God. God is the one who will save America. Government is important, but it's not where our hope is. It's not where our trust can be. We can't let our trust be in that. We can only trust in God alone. All we need is a great awakening. That's it, folks. All we need is a great awakening. Look at some American history and how bad it got before the first great awakening, before the second great awakening. Before the, I believe it was the second great awakening, there weren't any Christians left at Harvard University. Zero Christians. There were two, I believe, at Yale. And that's it. Two Christians in the whole college. There weren't many colleges back then. There were two in the whole school. Everybody else was very anti-Christian. Christianity was a joke. God is dead was the philosophy of the day. Those two Christians actually communicated to each other in coded messages so that no one would find out they're Christians. It's like the first century in one of the uh, cities in Greece or something like that. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It was bad back then. We're talking late 1700s, um, right around the turn of the century. So give or take a few years on either side. And then the Second Great Awakening happens, not among the elite, not among the wealthy and the intellectual, but among the common people, especially on the frontier. Charles Finney going up and down and others. And it changed the whole country. It led directly to the end of slavery, which unfortunately happened, had to happen through war. But it led directly to that. It led directly to eventually women's suffrage and women getting the right to vote because the understanding of freedom in Christ was one of the things that kind of came out of the Second Great Awakening. And so there are things we want to see happen in this country, right? I want to see abortion end. I want to see it end. I think it's one of the three greatest things we've ever done, or greatest tragedies and horrible things we've ever done as a nation. I really think that. And I want to see it end. I want to see the millions of innocent lives be spared. I want it so that my grandkids can ask me someday, is it really true that there was this thing called abortion back then? How could anyone think that it was okay to just kill babies? That it doesn't comprehend to me. I want my grandkids to say that. I want my grandkids to say what Andrew said when he first learned about slavery, which was a number of years ago, and we explained the situation to him, and his response was, who would even think of that? He couldn't fathom how anyone would even think it's okay to treat another human being that way. I want my grandkids to say that same thing. And there's other, there's other issues too, I'm not gonna list them all because I don't wanna overly politicize what we're talking about, okay? But I wanna see these things happen, but they will happen through God. And after the next great awakening, which is coming, that's when we're gonna see societal change. It's not because of the people we vote in that's gonna change abortion. It's because of God. And so many people will be awoken to the truth and they will demand justice. And that's when justice will happen. We can't legislate people to not sin because that's people's nature. But if everybody starts getting filled with the spirit of God, we will start realizing that racism's super bad. 
And we should make sure we don't do that. It's not going to happen through legislation. It's going to happen through the Holy Spirit. And I think that's true about everything. Again, good government, very important. But the government will change after God changes the people. It'll naturally change. And there will be then pitfalls on the other side. We have to make sure we don't go too far. They went all the way to prohibition after the Second Great Awakening. A couple generations afterwards, it turned into legalism. And that's, that's the pitfall on the other side of that, is we don't want it to turn into legalism. So let's just pray. Why don't we take a minute in prayer? I don't, I don't want to keep preaching at us. I want us to listen to the Spirit for a few minutes. It's, it's fine to believe that if your people elect, are elected, whoever you like, things will get better for the country. That's fine. But we just need to guard our heart to make sure we control our emotions and don't let it go too far. If it becomes an unless and a necessity, I think that means we've put too much of our hope in that. So let's, let's take a minute just to allow the Holy Spirit to do a little audit on our hearts. Uh, let, let's just take these examples of government and politics to start. Holy Spirit, we just open up our hearts to you. Just agree with me silently with this prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and to touch our heart and to show us, have we put government on that second shelf? We thank you for the government we have, by the way, God. We thank you that we do live in freedom. We thank you for all the wonderful things that we have because you've allowed us to have good government, by and large. And Lord, we want to see that increase and increase and increase. But Lord, we don't want to put our trust in that. We don't want to put our hope in anything but you. And so show us if we've put something on that second shelf, maybe occasionally even. Let's just take a minute just to listen. In the, in the first commandment here, God says, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods in my sight. But then he goes on to say, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. And I will revisit this sin of idolatry onto your children and onto your children's children and onto your children's children's children. He is a jealous God. He's saying, look, this is really serious. It's the first commandment. This is the biggest one, folks. We got to make sure there's nothing on that second shelf. And so we, we've talked for a few minutes about the examples of government and politics, but there's a lot of other idols, right? There's a lot of things, money, career, family. Anything that we put our trust in or hope in can become an idol, right? So let's take another minute and let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. If there's maybe something else, anything else in our life that we've allowed to go on that second shelf. Lord, I just want to really repent of the idol of my own understanding, our own thinking, our own opinions, mm. our own intelligence. Lord, the number of times I have looked and thought, well, I know the answer to that. 
or I already know this, and haven't sought you. I haven't asked you. Mm. It's been more my desire to communicate my understanding to others than to help them see your ways and your thoughts. So as the body of Christ, I want to stand and repent for my own understanding that has blocked people from being able to see you clearly. Anybody else want to share? Yeah, I used to think that, gosh, if I was just a really good homeschool mom and just did everything right and had devotionals in the morning with my kids, and that's putting God first, right, you know? And, um, you know, God just blew that whole thing out the door when one of my children really, really blew it, you know? And it just, he just showed me, uh, there's no guarantees, you know? And, um, you know, it's really interesting. I have two sons this, su this summer. Um, both are in college, and um, one of them just worked so hard. And the other one worked kind of, you know, he worked okay. And, um, but he didn't work as hard as the other one. And so just like last week, the one that didn't work very hard got this huge unemployment check. And the other one who worked really, really hard didn't get anything, right? I mean, he didn't qualify for it. But he said to, the, he said to me when I told him, I, he said, oh, wow, God rewards people who are lazy. Oh, that's great. You know, and, and it just showed me, you know, that, you know, we, I have done that too. I have thought, oh, if I'm just good if I work really hard and just everything right and God's just going to bless me, you know? And, you know, and I just need to talk to that one son and just say, hey, you know, these certain principles that we do, yeah, I mean, we, we try to do the best we can as a parent and everything, but, you know, you have to put your faith in who the person of Jesus Christ is and God is and his character and not in what he's going to do for you. And not that he's going to make everything good because trials are going to come and you have no control. But he's, he's always a good God and he makes everything all work out for good. And so I, I'm going to tell that one son. i got to tell him <laughs> what I've learned. That's good. Thank you for sharing. And that's, that gets back again to that contractual thing. That we can look to God because he's going to do this for us or that for us. And... It, it edges closer and closer to idolatry. It's, it's, it's easy to do. It's, I think, human nature. And so trying to learn, as you were saying now and before, that we seek God for who he is, we worship God for who he is, we follow him for who he is, and to realize that we're not always going to understand the whole what actually happens thing. It might appear like we were wanting God to do this and he did this instead, but it could be that what he did is actually what we needed to have done because we understand very, very, very little about what's going on. Um, can you give me one of those, Tim? Or pass it that way, thanks. Yeah, I was thinking, as Kathy was saying uh, those things, uh, as we submit to God and put him first, he does know what the future is. We don't, and we have to trust him. Exactly. Uh, 
the other thing is he also blesses those in lead the, the leaders the authorities mm -hmm. so it's still okay to make a stand for what you believe mm -hmm. but at the same time God is first we're praying for everyone yep in authority absolutely we are called to pray for our leaders no matter what and it's true that God does know what's going to happen and so there's too much fear. This political media machine wants us to be afraid because when we are afraid, they can control us. It's humanity 101. It goes back to like right after Eden. <laughs> and we, we're not meant to, we're not called to be afraid, people of fear. We're called to be people of hope in the Lord. We're not called to be controlled. We're called to submit ourselves to God's authority only. And so if God knows the future, which he does, then do you think he's horribly surprised when someone gets elected who is not the right person? And do you think he doesn't foresee what that person's gonna do while they're in office to destroy or ruin the country? Of course he sees that. And of course he has plans in place before that person was ever born to undo things or redo things or whatever needs to be done. God is so far above us. He's so far above anything mankind could ever create. He's way above the government. And those leaders, our leaders, they serve him in a certain sense, whether they realize it or not. If you read Romans 13, which I highly recommend you read, especially these days, read Romans 13 where Paul is talking about why we should obey the government. And he's saying, he talks about the emperor who is the worst, okay? Like mass murder, ethnocentric, kills other races if he doesn't like them, lights Christians on fire for fun, and he thinks it's neat. I mean, you name it, this dude's doing it. It's horrible. And Paul calls him the servant of God. That means God, in his incredible omnipotence and authority, can make even that person ultimately do what needs to be done. It's kind of a mind-boggling thing. It's hard for us to understand in our finite world how God in the infinite can work stuff out like that. But 300 years later, the emperor of Rome became a Christian. Not the same guy. Not a super old emperor. The next several ones down. Becomes a Christian. And now there's no more persecution. And so things did eventually change. God has a very long-term view compared to us. Uh, were you going to share? Well, I was just going to say to Kathy that God can take that small amount that the one son has and multiply it beyond what he can even believe. I mean, that has happened so often in our lives. He has made things last longer than they should have ever lasted. Yes. Uh, other gifts have been brought in. Things have multiplied down the road that we never foresaw. And, and couldn't believe, and six months later, it doesn't look like, you know, the same incident. And I have seen 30 years down the road, people that we thought we would be so far below, not. And so you, in the scheme of things, and not that you would want anyone to have less than, because we should always rejoice with those who are rejoicing. 
But in that, you know, if you can teach them to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping, then God will be with them for them. that are happening. God, why God? It's not fair. You know what? You know. So. Yeah. That's that. I think God's dealing with him and teaching him. You know that his heart is a little. You know he's got to have his faith in who God is. At. So and trust him. Okay. Real quick up here. Uh, I was just gonna. Yeah, that's good. And I think that happened. I, I, I wish we had a better understanding of history so that it would happen even less. Um, we're, we're hitting the end of our time here, so I'm going to close us in prayer. Let's, let's bring our hearts back to prayer again. Um, I'm going to lead us through a prayer of repentance. If anybody feels like they have maybe occasionally let something get up on that second shelf, or maybe even have a little permanent place there, um, I'm going to walk us through a prayer of repentance for that. Father God, we repent if we've allowed anything up anywhere near you in our area of worship and focus. Father God, we keep our hope in you alone and our trust in you alone. You alone are God. There are no other gods in your sight, period. And so, Lord, we repent if we've allowed something, whether we realize it or not, to woo away some of our hope or some of our trust. We repent of that sin, Lord God, and we receive your forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ. We receive your forgiveness, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, as we move forward now, today, through the rest of this week, that you would keep bringing up things that we need to know. <laughs> keep this audit going. If there's things in our heart that we have put up there on that second shelf so that we can knock those idols down and smash them on the ground. And that you would lead us into replacing that trust back in you. Replacing that hope back in you. And I pray that you would also help us to remember to pray for our leaders and to pray for this upcoming election. And to pray that you would continue and increase the good government on this earth that we get to experience. And that we will never forget that that government, however good it might be, is not the kingdom of God. You are the kingdom. And you are bringing the kingdom in greater and greater measure, like a mustard seed covering over the garden, through us. Until eventually, one day, you'll come back and you'll usher in the kingdom in its fullness. And that is the kingdom we place our trust in. And you are the king that we place our trust in. In Jesus' name. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to smile on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.